All right, gentlemen, welcome back. This is week number six, I believe. Oh my gosh. Week six. When do we stop listing the weeks? Like, <laughs> when is it? <laughs> yeah. Week 142. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard to believe that we're still going. <laughs> well, and we have a very unique experience this week. We are starting the season of Lent. Lent. What? Yeah. Ha- do you say happy Lent? No. No. Misery. A sad Lent to you, sir. <laughs> I hope you have the worst Lent ever. <laughs> Are you suffering enough yet? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, yesterday was the eighth Sunday in Ordinary Time as we record, uh, and we had a good conversation last week. Did any of that stuff uh, come into your reflections at Mass yesterday? Yesterday, I think it was a pretty unremarkable homily <laughs> that I was at, but uh, one thing that the priest did focus on was our need for Christ uh, and his grace in our lives, that that should be the focus of our lives Mm. and the focus of our prayer, that grace isn't something that I can manufacture, but something that I desperately need. And uh, And that was related? How was that related to the reading? I don't. don't (laughs) But it was fine. He was like 98 years old. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I found that where, where I went to church, the priest... This something that I really find frustrating. He found one word in the gospel to like zoom in on, and then just used it to justify talking about whatever he wanted to. Um, so like, like the, the word the <laughs> yeah. So, so like the opening part of the gospel was the blind leading the blind, and mm. he just focused in on the word blindness, and mm. then started talking about how politicians are terrible and <laughs> oh no yeah, and how they're blind <laughs> and how you know different political things in the world are going wrong and i was like what is this where where is this coming from (laughs) do you think that that would have been a better homily had he not made it political because i i don't know i don't mind so much homilies that focus in on one like a homily on spiritual blindness i i you would think could be quite fruitful yeah i think so too i he just made it very clear like he tumbled into that political soapbox pretty easily yeah i don't have time for that yeah. Well, this week, we're the first Sunday of Lent. And I had actually thought about us talking about Ash Wednesday, but who's got time for that? No, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed their Ash Wednesday. Yeah, That's indeed. <laughs> indeed. For the tens of listeners out there, I hope you had a good <laughs> Ash Wednesday. <laughs> well, this week, first Sunday of Lent, uh, we're going to do something a little different. I think it'd be really good for, since I'm leading this week, I thought it'd be cool to just share with you guys my reflections for this week and then then that'll spark the conversation instead of kind of going around the table. Great. So as I read through these and as I prayed with them briefly, I focused on the first and the gospel. I didn't really focus on the second reading at all, so I'm open to what you guys have to say about it. But for the first reading and the gospel, what really stood out to me is that this week is all about idolatry. That's what I focused on is dethroning idols. And the reason I felt that way as a theme was because the first reading had all this great history, like personal salvation history. You know, God is the one that brought you out of the land of your fathers, and he took you into Egypt, into slavery, but then he brought you out. And all this passive language of God did these things for you. And then by the end of that whole arc in Deuteronomy, you know, as God has done all these great things for you, that's the setup for now offer your gifts to God in sacrifice at the altar. So it's very clear. Notice how God has been your Lord and offer sacrifice to God. So there's a clear like condemnation there of making false gods. And the reason I connect this to the gospel is because of all of the temptations that Satan has for Jesus. I kind of read them all 
as the same temptation that Satan had for Eve, I read them through that lens of like, Satan is tempting Jesus with the same thing. You will be like God. He says, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus says, one doesn't live on bread alone. And then the rest of that verse that's not quoted is, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the next time Jesus speaks, he says, you shall worship the Lord your God. And the last time he speaks, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So he's always referring back to God's sovereignty when Satan is trying to get Jesus to see himself in God's place. And so I I read the whole of this week in terms of what is God's rightful place in my life and how do I not put myself in his place as making myself into an idol. And then maybe the last point uh, was how does this relate to Lent? How do I dethrone my idols this Lent? And that would affect the way that I think of what do I give up this year? Yeah, that the sacrifice is framed in the sense of what are the idols in my life? That's the first question. Mm -hmm. And then how do I dethrone them or get rid of them? Right. I think that's great. I think that it kind of fits with this idea that Satan's temptations to Jesus in the desert are to get him to draw power from something other than God. Right. So is he going to draw power from his own self or is he going to draw power from Satan by worshiping him? Is he going to draw power from uh, angels or is he going to continually draw power from God? Yeah, that sounds almost like a new age question, but like maybe it's like, you know, by dethroning these idols, we're asking, where am I drawing my power from? You know, what is giving me power and how do I make sure that that power is really coming from God? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Jesus always goes back to God and says, no, I'm not going to grasp at power for myself. Yeah, and he does that by quoting scripture, mm-hmm. that it's it's almost a passive thing. Jesus isn't even using his own words. He's using the words of scripture. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan, what do you think? Yeah, I like this idea that you're uh, that you're talking about. It's one that I use quite often. You know, we're, we often look at Lent as kind of an exodus moment for us, and it is. It's our time lost in the desert as Jesus was lost in the desert. But I think there's a... I don't know if I'd go so far as to say a stronger connection, but a definite connection with the temptations in the in the Garden of Eden. I've always talked of it as Jesus giving us hope that it's possible to overcome these temptations. Because what we find with Adam and Eve is that as soon as they eat the fruit, they hide in fear. They're shamed. And Jesus, in the face of the Lord of temptation himself stands up tall and says, no, Hmm. this is not who we are. This is not what we do. And it's difficult, right? Because Jesus is like, well, God, (laughs) but he's also human. So he's giving us an example of how to be fully human. So, but what do you see? So do you just see the hope in his example or like, do you, what do you see? Yeah, that it's, that it's impossible. It's possible to say no to the Lord of lies, to the Lord of temptation. Yeah, that's good. You know, Louis, can I ask you a question? I, I was wondering, could you weigh in a little bit on the first reading um, from your own ex- your own prayer? But also, I read it a little bit as how someone can look over their own personal history as seeing that history as graced and as being guided by providence. Um, did you see that in the first reading at all, or h- how did you take that reading? Yeah, it's sort of a salvation history moment, right? Like, we're recapturing these uh, great moments where God has been with us through times of trial, through Egyptian slavery, through times of oppression, through worshiping idols. 
and Moses is talking to the people, and it's basically saying that God has not abandoned us, Mm -hmm. that God is still present to us. Right. So I think in some ways it does mirror what Jesus is experiencing in the desert, that through these times of trial, that God's presence is still uh, consistent. And although sometimes we don't experience it or feel it, we know that it's there and we have things in our lives that we can rely on like scripture, like our own history, like the stories that we tell ourselves. I think that that sometimes gets neglected in times of trial and is really, like we were saying before, a way to generate hope. Mm -hmm. That when I am emotionally lost or psychologically lost or even physically lost, I have these things like prayer, like scripture, like my own history uh, with God that are constant reminders that he's been present to me, even right. if in this moment I don't feel it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like looking over salvation history or one's personal history, God immediately takes takes the agency position and I immediately become in the passive position, not in a weakness like way of looking at it, but I was just struck by all the passive voice uh, in that first reading that mm-hmm. I have been brought to this place and you know, the practice of like looking back over one's day or looking back over one's life, it might be the best remedy I have found to dethroning idols is looking back and seeing the providential care of God in my life and saying like, oh, no, it wasn't me who earned such a great you know, success. You know what I mean? Like looking back over one's life is a really good way of putting things into perspective and putting idols in their rightful place. Yeah, I think that's a really good read on it. It's also, for me at least, I, I looked at this as being... This is why we can trust that God will do something in our lives. This is why we know that God is a God worth worshiping, because look at all of the things that he has done for us. Mm -hmm. So not just looking back in my own history of God at work, but in the history of all of God's people. And I think it's interesting to be immersed in a moment within the church and within political culture and the society and everything where we're being told over and over and over again that things are hopeless, really. I mean, it is almost this public declaration in so many circles of society that, no, the devil has won and he's in charge and real evil is going on in the world and we can't stop it. You know, I think of the crisis in the church, the sexual abuse crisis. I think of politics in the United States and around the world, this fear uh, on all sides of, of one another. And I really think that the scriptures are challenging us today to say, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the scriptures? Have mm. you forgotten God? Have you forgotten the word that's been preached to you? Right. And I think that's what a way to bring in that second reading. Like, what does scripture say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. If I just remembered that one line when I'm reading the news every day, that would change my whole outlook. Like, what does the scripture say? You know, yeah. <laughs> in light of all of this, what does the scripture really say? Yeah, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's that's right there. Like, there, scripture is referenced twice, and it's so hopeful in the second reading. Good, good, good. So it, it is Lent. Right. And there's this notion of hope. We've been talking about idolatry. Did, did this factor in to, for you guys and what you've been thinking about for your own Lent of how you how does it shape the way that you're going to approach your own Lent? Every time we get to Lent, I think of this older Jesuit. 
when uh, somebody asked him what he's giving up for Lent, he's like, well, I took vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience 45 years ago, and I think <laughs> that might be enough. <laughs> I've been paying for it ever since. <laughs> That's funny. So, I, yeah, I think uh, I think we can be a little too hard on ourselves with like, oh, okay, now it's, it's almost like a New Year's resolution. Like, now I've got to give up all these things and make my life healthy and do all the things I said I would be doing, but, you know, now is my chance. So I think for my own personal Lent this year, it's can I stay focused on my prayer and can I stay focused on my studies, which are both things I should be doing anyway and both things which I sometimes let fall by the wayside. So how am I going to stay focused on that in a way that's really healthy and in a way that's preparing me for priesthood? Good. How about you, Jonathan? Yeah, you know... I have similar thoughts and struggles with Lent. Uh, it, it does kind of feel too much like a, a religious version of a self-help program. In recent years, I've been taking this as kind of an opportunity to zoom out. So it, like as our examine is for that day or that week, I, I try to take it out and look at what are the, the big movements in my life these days. So looking maybe even over the entire year since last Lent. And like what you were saying, David, really look at what has become an idol or what is what has become a roadblock to me following following my one true desire, as Ignatius said, praise, reverence, and service of God. I usually wait until the very last minute to like <laughs> name something so that when people ask me what I gave up, I'll have something to say. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's usually more of a, a prayerful disposition mm-hmm. with some, you know, the prayer, fasting, and abstinence mm-hmm. thrown mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. I remember one year I uh, I thought it'd be very clever to spend the first week of Lent discerning what I felt called to give up. <laughs> and luckily by the end of it, I was already a quarter of the way through Lent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah. good. That's good. Well, great. Good. Well, any uh, parting thoughts? Uh, I'm in an Orthodox Christianity class right now. And one thing that the Orthodox are really, really good at is fasting. <laughs> it's like it's like their thing. And they fast all the time. It is only 69 days out of the year do they eat meat. Wow. It's amazing. They're just constant fasting. You know, one of my thoughts from that and learning about them is they know what they're doing. And I think that if I want to understand fasting better, I need to get to know some of these traditions that actually do a really good job with it. And so maybe part of this Lent is getting to know these parts of Christianity and these parts of the church that really emphasize this and know how to do it and not just like, you know, I'm going to give up. Uh, marshmallow peeps until Easter. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the easiest thing to fast from. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I've been fasting from those since I was a kid. (laughs) But finding a way, finding a way of fasting that uh, is really in line with what we mean as a, as a community. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Jonathan? Any parting thoughts? Yeah. You know, Preaching on this, on these readings, especially for the first week of Lent, um, I can I can just imagine myself getting kind of lost in, you know, the beauty of asceticism and how nice it is for us to g- 
get rid of all distractions, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but I don't think that that's very practical. What I do think is practical is exactly what, Louis, what you're talking about. How do we, how do we turn this not into some novel thing or, you know, this kind of kitschy, hey, we're going to do this and look how cool I am because I'm doing it. And really, how, how do we allow this to be a transformative moment in our lives? Is it something that leads us to pride or to shame? Or do we follow Jesus and stand up tall and rebuke the devil when he comes, when he comes at us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because notice, I think that's one of the lines of the gospel that I, I underlined as well, is that Satan only departed from him for a time, right? And that he'll be back, right? It's, it's, it's an ongoing battle, right? But holding on to God, holding on to Jesus, it's like, well, the next time temptation comes around... You know, I've grown in my dependence on the Lord to get me through. And I think you're right, David, that it really is about getting rid of these idols. And so sometimes during Lent, the temptation is to make an idol out of my fast mm-hmm. and to not actually focus on what we're being called to do, which is to take in Scripture, to embody it, to repair our relationship with Christ when it needs repairing and to immerse ourselves in it in order to sustain us through these temptations or through these distractions. Amen. Yeah. Very good. All right, guys. Well, I think that's good for this week. Touch base next time for our second Sunday of Lent. All righty. Woo. Sounds good. Peace.